Thank you, Adam. Well, can I encourage you to have your, your Bibles out, if uh, you've got a Bible there, uh, and turn to Genesis 22, which was the reading that Adam read for us right at the start of the service. And to begin with, I want you to think about what are those things in the whole world that you love more than anything else? Just have those, those things in your mind. The things that you love more than anything else in the whole world. So have you got that in your mind? Now I want you to imagine what it would feel like to give up those things. What would it feel like if you had to give away the very things in this world that you loved the most? And those two questions were on the, uh, the NEC children's activity sheet a couple of weeks ago when we looked at this passage. And uh, my daughter, Jemima, she wrote down her family as the thing in the world that she loved most. And uh, the word that she said to describe how she would feel if she had to give up that, that she would feel devastated. I thought that was a great word to use if you had to give up the things that you love most or the people that you love most. Uh, and not only did she know that word, but she knew how to spell it as well, which I was impressed by after two months of not going to school. But I'm sure that we would all have that same feeling. If we had to give up what was closest to our hearts, we would feel devastated. Uh, and we can just get perhaps a little insight then into what Abraham must have felt like. When here in Genesis 22, he has been asked by God to give up the one thing, the one person in all the world that, that he probably loved the most. His son, Isaac, his only son, whom he loved. Uh, we noted last week just how strange and shocking this command was. And our reading from Hebrews 11 brings this out a bit. He, Abraham, who had embraced the promises of God, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It is through Isaac that all the promises will come true. And yet here is God telling Abraham to give up his son, his only son, whom he loved. The child of promise, the hope of the world, is about to be sacrificed. It doesn't make sense. But we saw last week, didn't we, that this sacrifice of Isaac is pointing us forward to another son and another sacrifice. To the one and only son, Jesus. The son who was loved by God the Father, who would give his life for the world. The Lamb of God who would die as a substitute in our place for the sins of the world. So this passage, as we saw last week, is ultimately about Jesus. It only makes sense when we see it in the light of Jesus. But it's also a story about Abraham and about the testing of Abraham's faith. That's made very clear right in the very first verse of chapter 22, that this is a test that God is giving to Abraham. And there are lessons that we can learn for our faith from this test that Abraham had to go through. 
So our, our first heading this morning is the testing of faith, because that's what's happening here in Genesis 22. And though Abraham's experience is unique, his test is one that we won't have to go through. His faith is an example to us. And we know from the New Testament that God can use tests and trials to strengthen our faith for our good. Testing can strengthen our faith. It produces perseverance. Uh, tests are like greenhouses for our faith. They provide the ideal growing environment for our faith. Like you would put a, a plant um, into a, a greenhouse so it, it can grow to, to full maturity. So in the midst of trials and tests, our faith can grow to full maturity. It can become complete and mature. There would have been something lacking in Abraham's faith had he not gone through this test. Now, one writer says that, that through this test, God didn't break him, but actually what God was doing was, was bringing Abraham to the summit of his lifelong walk with God. This test will bring Abraham to the summit, but you can't get to the summit without first going through testing. Now, somebody else once said that, that the devil uses tempting, which is actually the same word as testing, to break us, to, to make us fall. But God uses tests to make us stand, to make us strong. And tests can also refine our faith as well. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Tests can be like a furnace for our faith. And it proves the genuineness of our faith. So just like you would uh, put uh, gold into a, a furnace and the impurities in the metal will be burnt away and leaving you with the purity of the gold. It's the same with our faith when we go through trials. The trials refine our faith and prove that our faith is genuine, that our faith is the real deal. And that's what happens for Abraham. Uh, when God tests Abraham's faith, it's shown to be real faith, genuine faith, living and active faith. Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did in being willing to sacrifice Isaac. If I was to say to you, I have faith in your ability as a driver, I believe that you are a good driver but I refuse to get into a car with you and allow you to actually drive me. Well, that would be revealing that actually I have no faith in you, that I'm just saying words when I say that I have faith in you. I'm not backing up my faith with actions. And if I were to get in the car with you and allow you to drive me, then I would be showing the genuineness of my faith. My faith would be completed and proved by my act of getting in that car and allowing you to drive me. It's the same with Abraham here. Uh, look at uh, verse 12 of Genesis 22. And hear what the, the Lord says to Abraham. He says, now I know that, you're, that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, 
your only son. God knows that Abraham's faith is real and genuine because his actions back up that faith. His actions prove and complete his faith. You see, testing also reveals as well as refines. It reveals what's in our heart. It reveals how we're, we're relating to God. Do you really fear God? We might be surprised to see that word fear used in verse 12. Surely we, we might think that Abraham's willingness to make such a huge sacrifice for God shows that he loves God. We might expect the angel of the Lord to say, well, Abraham, now I know that you love me because you are willing to give your son, your only son, for me. You're not withholding him from me. And perhaps that's because we often equate love with sacrifice. But that's not what's going on here. I think that would be misunderstanding the kind of test that Abraham is going through. You see, it's not really a test of love. God isn't asking Abraham, do you love me more than you love Isaac? It's a test of faith. And therefore, it's a test of obedience. Because obedience is faith in action. And obedience reveals who is on the throne of our hearts. If we fear God, then it shows that we know who God is. We recognise who he is and how we should relate to him. In other words, we should relate to him as king. And that fearing of God is not a servile fear. It's not a fear of being punished by a higher authority. Rather, it's the kind of fear that perhaps a child might have of a loving father. A, a respect, a reverence, because they recognise that, that they're the one in authority and we should submit to them. But not in a, in a, in a, a fear of punishment, but in a, a sense of, of reverence and awe. And we fear God because we know who he is. That's why in Proverbs it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of Knowledge is the foundation of wisdom. You can't claim to, to have knowledge and wisdom if you ignore reality. If you ignore the fact that there is only one king of this universe, and that is God. And we need to relate to him as such. Many people claim to have knowledge and wisdom, but really that they are living as fools because they're not living with God as their king. There is something or someone else on the throne of their life. And if that's the case, then what we're doing is we're ignoring reality and we're, pray, we're play, playing make-believe. We're saying, well, let's pretend that there is someone or something else in this universe who is above God, who has the right to rule my life other than God. And this someone or something the Bible calls an idol. 
And you know how you can expose your idols, how you can expose what is controlling your life and your heart. Follow your fears. Ask, what do you fear the most? What do you fear losing? What could you not live without? What is your security in life? If you fear losing your reputation, the good opinion of others, then it's likely that pride is your idol, that self is on the throne of your life. So just try that. Think about your fears. Think about what you most fear giving up or losing. And that will often lead you to your idols, to what's really controlling your life and your decisions. You know what I think Abraham's idol might well have been? I think it could have been Isaac. All of Abraham's hopes and dreams centered on on this young man, Isaac. If Isaac dies, then the promises die. Abraham's future dies. If Isaac dies, then Abraham has nothing, everything that he's been waiting for, uh, for the last 25 to, to perhaps even 50 years at this point now, it, it is all for nothing. He has nothing left. If, Abraham, if Isaac dies. So what does God do? Well, he puts his finger on the one thing that Abraham would have feared losing most in all the world. And God is saying in effect to Abraham, do you trust me with Isaac? Do you trust me with your own future, with your legacy? And do you fear me more than you fear losing Isaac. You see, it wasn't just Isaac being placed on the altar. Abraham was being placed on the altar as well. Abraham is having to die here. He's having to die to self, to self-rule. And instead of pretending that he is the king and that, that he gets to decide how he lives and the, the decisions that he makes, Abraham embraces reality. He trusts that God is the king, and so he submits to God's rule. He might not understand why he has to do this, but he knows that he has to because God is king and not him. And by his actions, Abraham is saying, I fear God more than I fear anything else. I fear letting God down more than I fear losing Isaac. And Abraham is saying, I'm going to take this, the hand, my hand off the steering wheel of my life. I'm going to let God drive. I'm going to let God make the decisions about my life. In a, a sermon called the, the Cost of Commitment, Tim Keller gives an illustration of this from one of his old Bible teachers. And he says, if you imagine that the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, was the thickness of 
one piece of paper. And the distance to the next nearest star would be the equivalent of a stack of paper 70 foot high. And then just the width of our galaxy, of, of our galaxy, out of all the other galaxies in the universe, would then be a stack of paper 310 miles high. That just gives you an idea of the vastness of this universe. And this is the universe that Jesus Christ upholds by the word of his power. So is this the kind of person that you would invite into your life as your assistant? Is this the kind of person that you would put onto a committee and say, make recommendations? And I'll, I'll listen to your recommendations. I might not follow them through, but you can make recommendations about my is this the kind of person that we would invite into the passenger seat of our life while we drive the car? Surely we would want to make this person the driver. Fearing the Lord means recognising who he is and relating to him in the right way and living before him in the right way. Not as your assistant but as your king, not as a passenger in your life, but as the driver. And Abraham gets this. He realizes who God is. And by faith, he obeys God. And this test reveals that he fears God more than anything else, even losing his own son. Now, my guess is that most of us, if any of us, have got to this point in our own faith. It, I mean, it took Abraham a, a long time to get to this point, uh, four or five decades of following God brought him to this point. And in fact, just as recently as Genesis 20, Abraham is allowing fear of, of man and fear of losing his own life um, to to sort of supplant his fear of God. And in, in that occasion in Genesis 20, he, he sins and he, he goes against um, God's will and, and God's ways because he, he fears something else more than he fears God. But, but Abraham has grown since then. He's grown in his faith. And we might think, well, for us to do that, for us to get to the point that Abraham has got to here would be really scary to take our hands off the steering wheel of our life, to let go of control and to, to give our lives completely to God and say, God, you make the decisions. I might not understand the decisions that you make in my life, but I'm going to follow them nevertheless. That might seem like a scary prospect for us but do you know what it actually leads to freedom and to joy when we let go of our idols when we let go of those things that control us those things that direct us we also let go of fear we let go of the kind of fear that cripples us you know the kind of fear that keeps us awake at night that when you're worrying about your finances when you're worrying about what other people think of you, when you're worrying about your children or your grandchildren 
and what's going to happen to them? What, what's going to happen to their future? Those fears cripple us. They don't bring freedom. They don't bring joy. But instead, if we fear God, we have a different kind of fear. It's a liberating fear. It's a fear that frees us. It is the liberating and joyful fear of the Lord. Now, just to, to help us to think about this more, um, I'm going to use a quote from a football manager called Jurgen Klopp, uh, who you might have heard of. I don't often quote football managers in my sermon, uh, but uh, I, th I think this quote is a really helpful one. And uh, this uh, quote was given on the, the day of the Champions League final last year when uh, Jurgen Klopp's team, Liverpool, played Tottenham and they won that game. And it was an article on his Christian faith in a national newspaper. And in that article, uh, Klopp was quoted as saying, there is nothing so important to me that I cannot bear to lose it. And that is why I have no reason to fear. I wonder if you could say the same thing. I wonder if you have experienced a freedom from fear because nothing else in this world is, is so important that you could not bear to lose it. As a result of this freedom from fear that that Jurgen Klopp has it. it. It liberates his teams to play with confidence, with, with joy, with positivity. And that expresses his outlook on life. Uh, you see, Jurgen Klopp and Abraham have something in common. They both recognize that life is a gift from God. And God is in charge of our life. God gives us our life and he is the king of our life. And that the life that he gives to us is a gift of grace to be enjoyed. And it's a gift we can trust God with. And knowing this and believing this leads to freedom. It leads to confidence. It leads to generosity and abundance. And as Abraham trusts God, he discovers the reality of two other truths. He discovers the provision of the Lord and he discovers the blessing of obedience. So firstly, the provision of the Lord. Now, perhaps one reason why we might not be willing to give God full control of our lives is ultimately we don't trust him to come through for us. We don't trust him to provide. No. Perhaps we have a safety net of our own provision. Uh, on one hand, we, we might be trusting in what God can give us, but we also have a, a backup. We have a backup security. So if God's provision ever failed, then we've got our own provision behind us. But Abraham is different to that. Abraham is willing to rest the whole weight of all his hopes, all his dreams, all of his ambitions on the promises and the provision of God. He's putting all of his eggs in one basket. He doesn't have a safety net. He's, he's laying it all on the line as he trusts in God's provision. And just look what he says in verse five to his servants. 
this is a, an example that Abraham is trusting in God's provision. He says, stay here with a donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What faith in God's provision and God's promises. We're going to go and worship and we will come back. Not just me on my own. Uh, that confidence in God's provision is repeated in verse eight. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And Abraham has so much faith in God that even if a substitute was not found for Isaac on that mountain, Abraham trusted somehow that, that God would raise Isaac from the dead. So that it would really be true that, that Abraham and Isaac would return down the mountain. We, we see that in Hebrews 11. That Abraham had the faith that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. Such was his confidence in God's provision. And do you know what happens? God comes through on his promises. God provides. A substitute is found instead of Isaac. A ram is provided by God. And so Abraham calls the place the Lord will provide. In the midst of testing, God provides. That's what he does. As we go through a trial, he gives us the grace and the strength and the provision that we need. Right in the middle of the furnace, right in the middle of that that greenhouse, as we are going through the, the growing pains of increasing in our faith and being, becoming mature in our faith, God gives us the provision that we need so that we can keep going, so that we can preserve and persevere to the end. And for those who, by God's grace, remain faithful in testing, there's also the blessing of obedience. We see in this story that Abraham's obedience was immediate. Early the next morning, Abraham sets out to complete the command that God has given to him. He doesn't hesitate. His obedience is immediate. And his obedience is also sustained. So it took three days to get to the region of Moriah and the mountain where God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And in those three days, I'm sure that Abraham must have thought about turning back. But his obedience to God was sustained over those days. And in response to this obedience, the Lord blesses Abraham. He, he renews and strengthens the promises that he's given to him. We see that in verses 16 to 18. Now, ultimately, our hope is not in our own obedience. It's not in Abraham's obedience or anybody else's obedience. It's in the obedience of Christ, in the true and better Isaac, in the ultimate sacrifice who faced the ultimate test of faith, but the one who trusted in his father's provision and enjoyed the blessings of obedience. So, and we can take part in and enjoy with Christ, the blessings of his obedience, now and forever. 
So when trials come into our lives, we don't need to fear. We don't need to panic because we know that God is in control. We know that God brings tests and trials into our life for our good. We, we might think that these things are a disaster. Abraham might have thought that this was a disaster, that having finally received the child of promise, he is now having to give him up. But it wasn't a disaster. God was using this test for Abraham's good to strengthen his faith, to refine his faith and to reveal what was truly within him, whether he feared God or not. We might not understand why trials come into our life. We might not sometimes even recognise that this is a test from God. But as the Puritan writer Thomas Watson wrote, God is to be trusted when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. God is to be trusted even when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. Or as Job says, somebody who went through intense testing and suffering, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your sovereignty and we thank you for your providence in bringing tests and trials into our life for our good. Not so that we would fall, but so that we would stand and that we would grow stronger in our faith. And when we are weary with a cost of obedience, help us to see the triumph of the cross. Help us to trust not in our own obedience, but in Christ's obedience, the one who went before us, the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And in the shadow of the cross, we will run till you complete the work you've begun in us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.